0: This podcast was made possible thanks to Drama Victoria. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are talking with Michael Varr, star of Shakespeare in Love, playing at MTC. Shakespeare in Love is on the Unit 4 Theatre Studies playlist. This is part one of the interview. Michael Varr is a graduate of the Victorian College of the Arts. He is currently starring as Will in Shakespeare in Love at Melbourne Theatre Company. He has also performed as part of Dracula with Shake and Stir Theatre Company. He played Cassio in Othello for Bell Shakespeare Company. He was a swordsman in Singing in the Rain with Lunchbox Theatrical Productions. He has played Laities in Hamlet by Bell Shakespeare Company, Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights by the Australian Shakespeare Company, Orlando in As You Like It with Spark Theatre. He was Top Thorn and part of the ensemble in War Horse. He's also a film and television actor appearing in Bed of Roses, City Homicide and Neighbours. To find out more about Shakespeare in Love and to book your tickets, go to mtc.com.au. Michael Varr speaks in detail and at length about this beautiful production, so we have broken the conversation slash interview into a number of different episodes for you to enjoy. Without further ado, I bring you Michael Varr on Shakespeare in Love. Welcome to the podcast, Michael Varr.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Shakespeare in Love. How's it going?
1: Absolutely amazing. The response has been phenomenal. more than i ever could have expected really it's um it's such a joy to work on the show with such an amazing team um on and off stage and and behind with all the creatives and the support um of the mtc and it's just a treat every night to perform and ride the journey and then at the end to see people's responses with such positivity it's kind of that's what theatre's about.
0: <laughs> Could you describe the status of some of the characters in this production?
1: Yeah, I think the um, well, certainly it revolves around the um, the two characters of of Will Shakespeare, who I'm playing, and um, and Viola de Lesseps. Particularly, um, they both come from uh, very different spheres um, in, of status and class. Um, Will coming from the country um, up in Warwickshire and from Stratford, arriving in London, um, establishing himself firstly as an actor. I think at one point in the play he announces himself as an actor, poet and playwright of the Rose Theatre and I think that's kind of in that order of his career, Um, especially at that point in the the show we see. Um, But at that time also in England, unless you're attached to a a sponsored company, I guess in a word, you had, you know, the Chamberlain's men or the Admiral's men, um, these company of players, unless you were attached to one of those, it was actually illegal to be an actor (laughs) in one sense. So, so his status is pretty precarious as artists. They all are as performers. Um, Um, while Viola de Lesseps, uh, she is born into wealth. Her father, while not um, of a title, um, made a lot of money. And so he has is, is almost bought his status and he's going to, as you find out later on in the play, gain even more status by marrying his daughter off to Lord Wessex, who has little money now, but a title um, of royalty and heritage um, and respect. So they're kind of these, it's not quite Romeo and Juliet where they're two warring families, but they are warring statuses of lower class and
0: upper class. Could you describe the motivation of some of the characters in this production?
1: Um, yeah, again, so opposite but intertwined. Um, the motivation of Will is to, <laughs> informed by his class, I think, is to get money. Um, you know, it's, it's something that is not. Uh, a privilege for him, um, and at the heart of it when we first see him is his writer's block. Uh, he is a, a writer by profession in all in all facets, even in his acting, um, but we see him at a point in his life where he can't write, and so his motivation is to find the solution to his problem of not writing, and he identifies that with love he uh, We find that to write, he needs a muse, or he writes best when he has a muse, uh, when he has an inspiration of someone. um, And that someone is at the heart of that is love, he says, Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And so his motivation, I think, is to find love again, for his writing, for his finance, and for his purpose. I think he's, He's a little consumed by his work and loses a purpose of self and what he wants in life for his own identity. Um, And so I think the motivation of of love and writing and and money are where we meet him at the start. When he finds Viola, I think that's when his motivation changes to wanting what he can, he wants to grab what he wants. He's motivated by love and by Viola and he won't be dissuaded by class or situation or, or law to try and get what he wants. Claire Vanderboom's amazing work on stage is um, as Viola is to, she wants love above all, I think is one of Viola's quotes very early on, but not the artful posturing of love. She wants to be, she wants to find the words of love, find the art and story, not just in and slapstick and comedy, but she wants to find the essence of love on stage in words that can manifest into real life. I think there's something, something about Shakespeare's poetry and, and, and heightened poetry in general, but why Shakespeare's are some of the best in the world is that he triggers imagination. He triggers images in your mind and, I see that in Viola here. Her, his language triggers her mind to create these amazing experiences and these images of humanity in her mind. And what we see her realize is that the world she lives in is not the world that she wants to live in. She doesn't want to be told to wear a dress, stand in the background, and, um, and just you know get married to the first man that, that wants her money she wants to act on stage and only men can act on stage she wants to break the patriarchy she wants to she's a, like a almost a i don't know a, a proto feminist or she's a she's certainly against the confines of the of the patriarchy that have been established in england at that time even though it's being ruled by a queen a powerful queen that has made england quite stable at this point she still she still sees a such an issue with with men ruling the world and having the words to rule the world. And she wants to change it. So I think that's, that's where her motivation sits or somewhere in there.
0: Could you describe the characteristics of some of the characters in this production?
1: Totally. Well, the characteristics, I think there's something beautiful that is shown within our production, within the writing, but also our production that we fo- tried to focus very hard on was the... Um, if I can use Viola and will as one example, and then I can use like the, the troop of actors as another example is there's that antithesis or that duality. I probably use the word antithesis a lot (laughs) because it's at the heart of, I think Shakespeare's writing. Um, But the, the contrast of the lovers will and Viola and that pure integrity and delicacy and honesty and truth these characteristics that come out when they're on stage together, or when they're on stage alone, or with each other, uh, talking about each other, and there is a, a real tragedy or drama or, or but honesty. It's not facade. It's not stereotyped. Um, and we see their journey through that, through that clear lens of of honesty. And then we have the the huge troop of actors and and their experiences—Burbage and and Ned Allen and Henslow and Feniman—the money and the producers. You have the actors, Sam and and Noel and and uh, Ralph. These these characters that are, in one sense, larger than life. And I, I don't mean to say that they are have less integrity in any way, but they have such comic timing in the writing and and their, the characteristics within them themselves have this huge heightened sense that can have this hilarious moments on stage. Um, the counterpoint, the contrast, these tragic and delicate moments with Willem Viola. So you have these, these two lovers talking in poetry and verse or wanting to find the words of love. And then you have these bombastic characters of hilarity, finding words of humour and imagery and rhythm and counterpoint that make each other, they, they complement each other. These characteristics of comedy make the tragedy more tragic and the characteristics of tragedy make the moments of comedy more comic. And so I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of, I guess, where I'm going with it. the characteristics of these characters and these characters, but also how they complement each other.
0: How have the actors used their expressive skills to interpret the characters?
1: Even the, the first scene that you see them, um, uh, Burbage... Uh, James Burbage um, uh, with Shakespeare. Um, Shakespeare's just run to the the court, the royal court at Whitehall, and Burbage is putting on a production of Shakespeare's Two Gentlemen of Verona. Um, already, visually, we see the costumes. Like Will Shakespeare's costume is, you know, green and and dark and and weathered and and fatted the my hair is is um kind of bedraggled and and well i'd like to think rakish but you know (laughs) we won't quite use that word Um, and uh his energy is fast and 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 frenetic um his need the the questions that he's asking are about money and accountability and, and there's a pressure on him because people are coming to him for all these things. And he's found that this, this play is being done without his permission or without his feet being owed. So there's this, this freneticism there's quick questions. There are, um, there's an energy and then a, a frenetic energy. And then you have Burbage and he is dressed in, uh, the costume of the character that he's about to perform in, but it is like a giant peacock it's, you know, pinks and whites and baby blues. And there's feathers everywhere, stockings and big bulging pants and this huge jacket, this huge doublet, Um, couldn't be more exaggerated if you tried. And that then also is perceived within his, his rhetoric, his um, ability to dissuade this author that's coming at him to ask for money. Um, while controlling the room as a lead actor and a producer in, in his own right, um, and so bombastic answers with you know alliteration in his delivery and big plosiveness in his in his articulation hitting his like b's and p's and it 's written in the script as well there's it 's a lot of explosive language um, to dissuade um, he 's also made to seem with this giant hat much taller so We're looking at like physical characteristics, visual characteristics, vocal characteristics that um, create almost this larger-than-life character within the reality of an actor playing a role for the Queen of England at the royal court in 1500s of of an era. So all these factors are still true, but they enhance the character so much that in contrast with this bedraggled, frenetic, anxious, down and out writer, it's, it becomes this hilarious comparison that then adds this, you can add tension to it, you can have the argument, you can have the conflict between the two, that you ride this journey, even though it's like a two minute scene or a minute and a half scene, it, you get so much of these characters already just from this experience. Of How is
0: focus used by the actors to enhance the intended meaning of the work
1: in the second half of the show? Um, there's uh, it's the revelation of Viola being revealed, or Thomas Kent, the uh, uh pseudonym of the Viola's taken to be her actor, um, and pretend to be a, a boy working with the company, um, where she is found out, um, and so there's this moment where, um Wessex comes and tries to attack Will Shakespeare at a rehearsal, um, and there's a, then a sword fight, and he is dealt with, um, not killed, he's still alive, um, but beaten. And then Lord Tilney, the um, the Lord Chamberlain, uh, almost like you know the Arts Minister of of the Queen slash many other things within politics, um, arrives to shut down the theatre because he has heard that there is a woman acting on stage and that is illegal. And there's a moment where it's Lord Tilney and um, Henslow are chatting with each other, the producer of the show, and the ensemble is scattered all around. And it becomes almost a visual storytelling to support the text on who, where to look or who to look at for their reactions um, and their journey. So Tilney comes in to um, reveal that there's a female working within the company and he heads up in between um, Viola and Sam, who's dressed as a woman. So you have a woman dressed as a man and a man dressed as a woman. So already standing in between two and saying he's going to reveal the woman. The focus is to look at these two characters and particularly Viola. And when you think he's about to reveal Viola, he grabs Sam, the man dressed as a woman because he assumes that it's a woman there and flicks his dress up. And of course we see that there's pants underneath and it's, it's actually a man and he's got that wrong. And so the focus is then shifted there to a comedy. And just at that moment, uh, Alginabella playing um, Webster calls out, no, he reveals that he's the one that's informed on everyone with this. And he goes, not him, her, and points at Viola. And so, on that physical gesture, the whole ensemble looks at Viola, which will then inform the audience looking at Viola. And then finally, Tilney looks at Viola and can't believe it because everyone thinks that Thomas Kent is a man, uh, with which then Webster walks up and everyone follows this action. And he rips off the mustache and the hat, and Viola is revealed, her blonde flowing hair underneath. Which then shifts to Lord Wessex on the other side of the stage, who's just been defeated in this sword fight, coming in with this moment of his wife, you know, wife to be Viola. And it shifts around almost like this hot potato of performers having these lines to feed back with this recognition of Viola. So the audience gets each and every one from each class and tier within the group this realization that Thomas Kent is actually a woman. And then there's a back and forth play of who knew, and Webster points out that Will knew. And so the whole ensemble switches their focus instead of thinking about their own journeys, their own experiences as their character of what it means for Thomas Kent to be Viola. Everyone shifts their focus to Will, who's downstage, and that shifts the whole focus of the audience as well down to Will until Webster says, Bubbies, kissing her Bubbies, And as this huge, it increases timing and tension in this whole moment to this comic line where you think one thing and then the most absurd thing comes out instead at this moment of heightened tension. And so it keeps on building this kind of hot potato focus. The cast using their ability in unison to look at one person or one point to then inform and get the audience to look at that one person or one point to support the story and the progression of the story. Uh, That sounded a bit (laughs) elongated, but I, I I always, I guess I always identify it to, um, uh, I was in a puppetry show years ago um, and I was playing a a horse puppeteer. There were three, three puppeteers per horse and two of them were inside this puppet. And one of them was outside holding the, the head. Couldn't be inside holding the head. Um, And a lot of people would say, or we even thought people will look at us instead of the horse because there's a, a human standing outside the horse. But the most amazing thing in learning from these amazing teachers and experiencing it myself was the more focused you are on something, the more interested you are in something, even if you are on stage, downstage center an audience will look at you but they will be far more interested in what you're looking at. If you're interested in what you're looking at, if you're interested in something. So if you're, if I'm interested in uh, Viola on stage as well, and everyone looks at Will, they will then go, Will's looking at something. I want to look at that. And so it really helps with the support of storytelling to be totally committed and focused on what you want, to focus on in telling of your story. As actors, you can explore your own moments, or you can, I feel sad, so I'll look down. Or, And you make that the focus of the, the story in an ensemble. But as an ensemble, if you all focus on one thing, the audience will focus on that thing. And if that thing supports telling the story, you will help the audience progress through the story clearly. So yeah, that's that's kind of, I think, some ways of using craft to focus an ensemble to focus a progression of story
0: that is the end of part one please continue listening or you can go through our bank of episodes to find one that piques your interest to find out more about shakespeare in love go to mtc.com.au that is all from us at the aside we have a load of episodes in the bank, so feel free to go through those and find one that piques your interest. If you would like to suggest an episode or you have a question, feel free to email us at asidepodcast at or you can find us on Facebook, The Aside Podcast. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. Thank you to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support. And of course, thank you for listening.